Thomas, isn't the Eucharist just glorious? It is truly one of the most amazing gifts given to us by Christ. It's the mystery of mysteries and the sacrament of sacraments. It's glorious. So today we will be going over the prophecy of Malachi. We've been, uh, I guess we kind of skipping forward now because we, we were at uh, Melchizedek, although that is covered in the New Testament. But uh, we're going to be going to Malachi, and then we'll be having a video on the Paschal Lamb. Just a short one on one of uh, St. Thomas uh, is kind of wrapping up all of the, the types of the Eucharist. So I thought that would be a good one to, to finish off our scriptural investigation um, and then go into our more, um, I, I guess, more definitive, uh, where we begin to def uh, define terms in more detail and then branch off into doing a little bit of scholastic theology. But... This is uh, going to be our second to last one. Um, obviously, SPS, like normal, Sacred Theologia Summa, uh, I'm going to be taking a lot of material from. But also, uh, St. Robert Bellarmine, his on the most holy sacrifice of the Mass. Uh, he has a chap. He Basically, if you want to know about all of the, the scriptural background of, especially the sacrifice of the Mass, but also um, just the, the Eucharist in general, a lot of the Old Testament types and prophecies, and even some New Testament texts that you wouldn't expect. Uh, Bellarmine basically lists them all, uh, every single one of them. He's, he goes into big detail, uh, answers all of the objections ever brought against any of these texts by the Protestants. Brings up, uh, for example, John 4, uh, I've, I've, uh, worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Uh, he proves that that's actually about the sacrifice of the Mass, interestingly enough. A very, very good text. Um, Ryan Grant, the translator, he's a great guy. Um, I should put the link below, but I know I'm going to forget. Uh, but but either way, uh, really good book to, to have. So I'm going to begin by just going to Malachi 1 and reading a bit of the content context. Because I think uh, if, we, if we look a bit at the context, it becomes clear what this can be about, this prophecy can be about, and what it can't be about. And then once we begin to reason uh, in that sense what it can't be about, uh, I think it will become abundantly clear to to anybody who's giving it a fair shake that this has to be a prophecy of the Eucharist. So uh, I will 
start actually at verse 6. The son honoreth the father and the servant his master. If then I be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear, saith the Lord of hosts? To you, O priests, that despise my name, and have said, Wherein have we despised thy name? You offer polluted bread upon my altar, and you say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that you say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. If you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it to thy prince, if he will be pleased with it, or if he will regard thy faith, face, saith the Lord of hosts. And now beseech ye the face of God, that he may have mercy on you, for by your hand hath this been done. If by any means he will receive your faces, saith the Lord of hosts. Who is there among you that will shut the doors and will fire the fire of my altar gratias? I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will not uh, receive a gift of your hands. From the rising of the sun, even to the going down, my name is great among the Gentiles. And here it is. And in every place there is a sacrifice, and there is offered to my name a clean oblation. For my name is great among the Gentiles, saith the Lord of hosts. And you have profaned it, uh, it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled, and that which is laid upon is contemptible with the fire that devoureth it. Devoureth it. And you have said, Behold our labor. And you puffed it away, saith the Lord of hosts. And you brought in of rapine the lame and the sick, and brought in an offering. Shall I accept it at your hands, saith the Lord? Cursed is the deceitful man that hath in his flock a male, and make a, making a vow offereth in sacrifice, that which is feeble to the Lord. For I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts, and my name is dread among the Gentiles. So you're going to see um, the traditional explanation for verse 11. I'm going to go back there. From the rising of the sun, even to the going down, my name is great among the Gentiles. And in every place there is sacrifice. And there is offered to my name a clean oblation. For my name is great among the Gentiles, saith the Lord of hosts. So that is the text which which I will be arguing from. So the thesis is that the Eucharist is that oblation which the Lord through Malachi foretold would be a pure offering to his name and which would be among the nations in every place. So uh, again, this is unlike the last one, because last one we were thinking about uh, typology. But this uh, in Malachi 1.10, uh, and, and so on, Malachi 1.11 in particular, is uh, prophetically the Eucharist is that oblation, which is prophesied. So this doesn't have to do with typology, but it actually has to do with promise. So when it comes to the teaching of the church in the Council of Trent, session 22, chapter 1, and that's a section we keep going back to all the time, so you should probably read it. It does directly reference Malachi as foretelling this pure offering, unlike the last uh, uh, Melchizedek, we do not have any disagreement among the Council Fathers. Almost everybody agreed that it was uh, that sacrifice which was foretold. So when it comes to the theological note of this, it is not, and this is an actually important to note, this is Catholic doctrine, so the opposite of this would be an error in Catholic doctrine because it's something taught by a council. Now, why wouldn't it be de fide? Because usually when it's something which is taught definitively by a council, it is something which is de fide. So it doesn't have to do with any error of promulgation. It actually has to do with the matter being spoken about. 
because this is a matter not of faith, so it's not something to assent to, but rather it's a matter of scriptural interpretation. It's a matter of support in defense of a certain article of faith. That is not correct matter for a for a dogma, de fide. So it's something which is Catholic doctrine, which you still shouldn't you still shouldn't disagree, but this wouldn't have the censure of heretic, and this wouldn't lose the the virtue of faith. So in thinking about the way in which Malachi 1 and 2 work, just to give a brief overview, you have the introduction, and then in the first part of the prophecy, which is going to be verse 6, which I started reading from, all the way to chapter 2, verse 9, what you have is you have the prophet Malachi speaking against the priests that they have forgotten the honor due to God. They have offered polluted and unclean sacrifices. And now in verse 10 and 11, what you have is you have a certain promise of a future clean and pure sacrifice, which is going to be offered among the Gentiles and throughout the whole world. But after, after this section, you get the, uh, it goes back to, what was before verse 10 in rebuking the wickedness of the priests and in promising a certain promise of judgment. So uh, when it comes to how this precisely refers to the Eucharist, what we can know, we can know a few details about this. And I'm actually going to go up to St. Bellarmine right here. What he the way he proves it from this verse is really good. The testimony cannot be understood on the sacrifice of the cross because it is not offered in every place, but only one place. So we have this future oblation. It can't be the cross. It can't be the one sacrifice that Christ made because it's offered in every place, not in one place. And the offering of the sacrifice was made in one place at one time. So it can't be the cross. Nor on some Jewish sacrifice, because the prophet says it was going to be offered by the Gentiles. And clearly that is opposed to the sacrifice to Hebrews. So it's offered in multiple places among the nations. So it can't be the Jewish sacrifices. And then also in part one, you can know that it's not the Jewish sacrifices, because in the sacrifices of the old covenant, it was something which was done only at the temple in Jerusalem. So it's not that. It is also not speaking about the sacrifices of the pious Gentiles who were in the world before the arrival of Christ, such as Melchizedek, Job, and others like them. For these holy men were few among the nations, and especially in the time of the prophets when idolatry clearly filled the whole world. So this is, this is something which is not the sacrifice of certain individual pious Gentiles, like Melchizedek, because it's in all the nations throughout the whole world. So it wouldn't make sense to refer to that. Again, this passage of Malachi cannot be understood, as some suppose, on the sacrifices of the idolaters among the Gentiles, for that oblation is not clean in any way. So it's going to be have it's going to have to be something as we've established in the future, in the church, which is not Christ, and which occurs continuously throughout the whole world. So at this point, that is that is all we've reached. We've eliminated a few contenders. But that is what we've all reached. Now, the two ways in which some people will answer it is first the the way of the the pure sacrifice of the lifting up of hands, phrased phrase like that uh, from 
from First Timothy. It's going to be the, the worship and prayer which is offered in the church. That is how some are going to some are going to interpret the matter. And then the second way to interpret the matter, the way in which uh, I'm offering here, the way in which Catholics historically have interpreted this passage, is that it's in reference to the Eucharist. Now, Bellarmine gives five arguments for this, and I think the first one is really the one that Catholics have held on to most dearly, and the one that I think is the strongest argument, is that from the term which the prophet used, uses, which is going to be mincha. Uh, when, when it comes to that term throughout scripture, it's usually on its own. And I've only found a few instances where it's, uh, there's really three ways in which it can be used. So the first one is going to be of the bread sacrifices, the grain offerings, such like that. Other ways, if there is prefixed, some sort of other term, it can be referring to the sacrifice of praise. And then third, it actually sometimes refers to the meal, which is eaten around, eaten around the sacrifice. Like if you look at the beginning of, Samuel, with the high priest's sons who are abusing their roles, uh, Mincha is going to be what's what's referred to by the meal that some of them are eating. So, so with this with this term, it's almost always used in the type of context that it's used in Malachi one eleven. Almost always, it's going to be some sort of bread or grain offering. So we could almost, in other places in sacred scripture, actually in other places in the prophets, to use this way. And as we get later on uh, throughout, as we get later on in Revelation, it's more clear in in Hebrew. Uh, previously, it's more it's used more in a general sense, but as we get later, it actually takes on that takes on that specific meaning of referring to a certain type of grain offering. And then in the modern day, the term is almost exclusively used in in that sense as some sort of some sort of grain offering so when it is used of a sacrifice of praise when it is used of the sacrifice of thanksgiving it is almost always affixed with a certain term specifying that when it is used alone almost always in this especially in this time period it's either referring to the ritual meal some sort of ritual meal or the the grain offering and I don't think it would make sense that it be the ritual meal because you're offering a ritual meal. What, what the heck does that even mean? And even then, that, that still would give way to the Eucharistic reading of this. But we could almost, uh, when it comes to a clean oblation, we could almost say that it was a clean grain offering. And, and in fact, in some other places in the prophets, uh, this word is just substituted for grain offering. So etymologically, makes the most sense when we come to the interpretation of this term. This has been really a bulwark of Catholic uh, interpretation everywhere from the time of Bellarmine. And Bellarmine was actually very well equipped in Hebrew. He wrote one of the first Hebrew grammars and it was used all, all throughout even Protestant Europe all the way through the 20th century. I've read other authors in the 20th century. This isn't just an old bad linguistic argument. This is an argument which is constantly and continuously used. And it's a good one because I, I checked it out for myself. Uh, my Hebrew isn't excellent, but I did take two years. So uh, it it's something, it's, it's a really good argument, makes sense to me. So the second argument is taken from the fact that it's described as a clean oblation, 
for the prophet opposes the clean oblation of the church to the unclean uh, oblation of the priests of the Jews. Now, according to the prophet, the sacrifice is clean in itself and generally to the extent that the malice of ministers could not make it unclean. So in the context, it is, it is clean, something which is clean in itself, a clean oblation, which cannot be made unclean by ministers like the ones in the old covenant could be made unclean by the ministers of in the priests of the old covenant. And he opposes this to the sacrifice, which can easily be polluted and which was always not unclean. You offer polluted bread upon my altars. And the next verse, if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is that not evil? And if you offer the lame and the sick, is that not evil? There he shows those sacrifices could be polluted, nor is it credible that their sacrifices were generally rejected only by reason of pollution on the side of those offering it, because our sacrifice could be rejected for the same reason. So when it comes to uh, the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, if you have a polluted minister of that sacrifice or even a polluted content. So if you have somebody who uh, it can when, when it comes to the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, the minister can easily pollute it and there easily can be polluted content with that with that sacrifice. It's not a clean oblation in itself. But when it comes to the sacrifice of the Eucharist, it is not dependent upon the holiness of the minister. So it makes most sense that this is what the passage is referring to. Now, the third argument is from the words in verse 10. I shall not receive the offering from your hands. From here, it is gathered that the oblation of the church is not only clean, but also new and did not exist before. So it's an offering, which is a new offering. It's something which is new. Now, what's the issue with that? When it comes to the old offering, the old offering was alongside sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving. Sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving are not something which are new. They're something which are old as mankind itself. Now, when it comes to the fourth, the fourth argument is taken from the antithesis between contempt and the glory of God which the prophet describes in this passage. St. Malachi says that through the Hebrew priest, the name of God was scorned and despised by the oblation of the Gentiles. It is glorified for the Hebrew priests offended God in the public invisible sacrifices. Thus the glory of God should come into being among the Gentiles, even from the public invisible sacrifices. Otherwise there was greater contempt inflicted upon the name of God in the sacrifices of the Jews than glory in the sacrifices, of the Gentiles. For in the former, the contempt would have been inward and outward, private and public. Moreover, in the latter, glory would only be private and for the most part inward. So again, it's following the Eucharist is following the type in which it is, which it is superseding, where the when it comes to when it comes to the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving, it would be something lesser in that it is not uh, not something which is public and outward, but only private and inward. And then the fifth argument is taken from the antithesis of the priests. Malachi does not oppose all the people to all Christians, but merely the priests of the old law, the certain men who properly succeed those priests. So you have some men, priests in the old covenant, are compared to some men, obviously priests, in the new covenant. It isn't all people in the old covenant to all people in the new covenant, 
which would be the case if it was the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. So those are the five arguments of of St. Robert Bellarmine. I think they are very good arguments. I'm going to actually stop sharing my screen because we're going to get into, into the church fathers real quick. Now, when it comes to the church fathers, I don't really even need to, uh, I, I guess I can bring up two cases. So the first case is going to be in the Didache, which is very early documents. Some say it's even before 70 AD, which alludes to Malachi 1.11 when it comes to the Eucharist. And then also the, the classical argument among the apologists of the second century, St. Justin Martyr, for example, is taken from the, the prophecy of Malachi 1.11 uh, in, in reference to the Eucharist. So there's going to be some objections that are brought forth. Usually it's through certain particular fathers who are going to write that, for example, Tertullian writes that Malachi is, uh, the pure uh, sacrifice of Malachi is simple prayer of a pure conscience. And then some will conclude from this that it's not the Eucharist. Now, when it comes to the fathers in reference to this passage, it's a both and. It's going to be a lot of that uh, both anding. Uh, when it when it comes to the way in which we interpret the fathers, because Tertullian in the same book writes, in every place a sacrifice is offered to my name, and it is a pure sacrifice that is a relation of glory and blessing and a hymn of praise. All of these things which they are observed also in you are a sign on foreheads and the sacraments of the church and purity of the sacrifices. You must now come out and say the spirit of the creator with your Christ has prophesied. So in, in, the, in the same text, he's going to refer to the Eucharist. And you're going to get this through all of them. Another one from, from St. Cyril and a few of the Greek fathers. But it's actually important, and the Sacred Theologia Summa brought this up, that when it comes to the Septuagint version of, of this text, uh, it read fragrance and that the fragrance perfumes, uh, interestingly enough, when it comes to when it comes to uh, Malachi one eleven, which I don't know exactly how they how they got that, but when it comes to the the passage, they're going to some sometimes have odd interpretations of it because of because of this change. Okay, that is all I have for you, and thank you, and I will talk to you guys in the next episode. The next episode. We're going to be going over the types in general, especially the Paschal Lamb. God bless. Lord.